You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our very good friends at Alumni Hall. I know that most of the wives... Most girlfriends out there love the traditional gifts for Valentine's Day. They love the flowers, they love the candy, the chocolates, all that stuff, right? But if you really picked right, which I know you guys, if you listen to this podcast, I know you picked right, then that special lady in your life is also going to love some Georgia gear, along with, of course, the flowers and the candy, all that traditional stuff. So do yourself a solid, do yourself a favor, and do her a favor by finding some awesome gear at Alumni Hall, some national championship gear. They have a ton of great stuff for the ladies. Make sure to check them out today in-store inside the Edge Shopping Center or online at alumnihall.com because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldog shop. But all right, guys, I am your host, Tyler, and today I am back with the second ever edition of our Friday Five. We tried this out last week as a new feature. Wanted to see how it would go, see if you guys even cared, see if you want us to do more of them, and I got some really positive feedback. So I figured, hey, why not? Let's do it again. And for those of you who might have missed last week's inaugural Friday Five, the concept's pretty simple. If you have consumed our content for any period of time, you've probably figured out by now. Like we, we have a specific style, a certain way we like to go about things, and we like our deep dives. We like hardcore, nuts and bolts, college sports talk. That That's what we like to do. That's our brand. That's what we're all about. That's what we always wanted to listen to before we started the podcast, and that's why we started the podcast. And I think that's what makes us maybe a little bit different than some of the other outlets out there. But that doesn't mean there aren't other topics that, you know, we're into and we would like to discuss sometimes on the show, but those topics don't always really fit into our traditional core Glory UJ episodes. So that's where the Friday Five comes in. It's going to give me an opportunity to just dive into some topics that I would love to talk about in the podcast that might not be exactly hard-hitting football talk or basketball talk or whatever, sometimes maybe, but just some topics that, I find interesting and I think you find interesting because I get a lot of DMs, I get a lot of interaction on social media from people, from all you awesome listeners out there, asking me my thoughts, my opinions on certain things, and and we don't typically dive into the storylines and the drama of the sport, there's a ton of that, we, we dabble here and there, but that's not really what we do, or at least it's not what we have done. 
But sometimes it's fun to talk about the drama and some of the storylines outside of just like the hardcore nuts and bolts, Georgia football, position battles, X's and O's, all that type of stuff, which is what I love to talk about. But, you know, there's a time and a place to talk about some of the fun stuff too, and that's where the Friday Five comes in. So I have five topics today. I've been taking notes all week. Five topics that have caught my attention over the past week. And the first one goes really all the way back to last Friday. So I know that might not fit into this week because it broke late last week, but it broke after I recorded the initial Friday Five, the inaugural Friday Five. So I'm going to include it on today's episode. And this got my attention real quick, and I was actually really excited about it. And I don't know if everyone else was. I I, I don't know if there was a, a major reaction among the fan base, but the news hit that it's Looking right now, that's very unlikely that Texas and Oklahoma will be entering the SEC earlier than what had been previously announced. There's been a lot of work going on behind the scenes, negotiations, trying to work out a deal with the Big 12, trying to work out a deal, more importantly, with Fox, who currently has the rights to the Big 12, which is still right now, Texas and Oklahoma, and trying to get them in the SEC early in 2024 when the new college football playoff, the expanding college football playoffs, is supposed to kick off. And that's also when USC and UCLA are scheduled to head to the Big Ten. To be entirely honest, I just kind of always assumed that the SEC was going to work out a deal. ESPN and the SEC were going to work together in conjunction, work out a deal to get Texas and Oklahoma into the SEC prior to 2025. I really never thought it would take that long. Money talks, and I thought they'd pony up and make it happen. Right now, that doesn't look like it's going to happen. Now, that can certainly change. If a deal is struck, the price is right, deals can be made. But the reports over the past week have been that right now, unless things change, Texas and Oklahoma are going to be in the Big 12 all the way through the 2024 season, and it won't be until 2025 when they actually enter the SEC. Now, when I saw this news Friday morning, I was ecstatic. I even tweeted something out about it, and what I tweeted out was like, hell yes. And it's not that I am opposed to the SEC expanding in principle. I'm not. I'm very excited about the nine-game conference schedule, which I fully anticipate us going to. That has not been officially announced, but it's going to. We're going to a nine-game conference schedule. When you have that many teams, you you want to be able to play as many of them as possible. An eight-game conference schedule, it's just not really going to happen. It's ridiculous. You can't have a a 16-team league and only play eight conference games. So we're going to go to nine, and I'm excited about that because that means more good games. And I'm all about that. I've said that many times in this podcast over the years. But... But the one big drawback for me as a fan who travels to all of these games is I will not be able to go to a lot of the road trips that I love. Some of my favorite road trips every other year, which is what I get to do right now. I love Columbia, Missouri. I love Lexington, Kentucky. I look forward to those football road trips for two years. Like we just went to Kentucky. We just went to to Columbia this past year, and I'm already already looking forward to the next time. And, you know, it was kind of bittersweet for me in Columbia this season and in Lexington because I just, again, I was assuming that the Big that the Big 12 was going to strike a deal with the SEC and Texas and Oklahoma were going to be in the league in 2024 when the playoffs expanded, which, was, which would have been when we were scheduled to go back to Columbia and back to Lexington. Well, now if that does not happen, that means I get selfishly, and I understand this is a very, very selfish perspective, but hey, you know, like I'm just giving my thoughts on it. Unless things change, and they might change, we'll see. But unless things change, I get one more swan song. One more swan song in Columbia, Missouri, which if you have not had a chance to go to, it is an incredible trip, man. It's it's an awesome, awesome, awesome college town. Just a very cool vibe there. 
The bar and restaurant scene is the closest thing in the SEC that I have seen to Athens. Now, it's not Athens because Athens is untouchable, but it's the closest I've seen to it. Just a really cool place. I, I love the campus. Um, you guys know I like to run, so it's great for running and all that kind of stuff. All things that, that I'm looking for, nice hotels, checks all those boxes. It's great. I absolutely love it. Lexington, a lot of the same things. That's about Columbia or true about Lexington. I absolutely love going to Lexington. Now, the downside for both those trips is obviously the distance, right? Now, I used to drive to Missouri. I'd leave on Thursday afternoon, drive halfway, well, kind of halfway, a little bit more than halfway. I'd drive to Metropolis, Illinois, literally the middle of nowhere. There happens to be just a random Harris, Harris Casino in Metropolis, Illinois. Like Nothing is there. You got a Superman statue, and that's it, in this gigantic Harris Casino in the middle of nowhere. I would stay there late Thursday night get up in the morning and drive a couple hours the rest of the way to Columbia, Missouri, and then drive all the way back in one day on Sunday. Now, the past couple trips, I've gotten smarter, and I've decided I'm just going to fly. Just going to fly. It makes it a lot easier. In Lexington, you drive there, about seven-hour drive from Athens. Not too bad, but not like Auburn or South Carolina. Not that close, right? But I love those trips. I'm already looking forward to those trips, and if I get one more chance, and look, I know that we'll play in Columbia again at some point. I know we'll play in Lexington again at some point, but those are not going to be teams that, and I don't think we're going to do pods, but however we do the scheduling, there'll be teams that we play every single year. Those teams are not going to be in our grouping, our pod, or whatever you want to call it, so we'll play them, I think, we'll play in Lexington, in, in Columbia, once every four years, which I guess is better than never, so I'll take that, but I'm going to miss playing there every other year. And if I get one more swan song in both those those cities, I will be a very, very happy man. But that's a very, very selfish view. And it might not happen. I, I might not get that swan song because all it takes is Fox and ESPN to come to some sort of deal here. And it's not really like a payment deal. It's, it's all about television inventory. That's why... Fox is not letting them leave early is because they paid all this money for the Big 12. And I've read a couple articles and there's some good stuff out there by Pete Dam. I think Dennis Dodd had a piece out there as well. You know, the Big 12 deal that Fox struck to air these games, they have estimated that half the deal's value lies in Texas and Oklahoma. So if they get up and leave, that's obviously a lot of value leaving. And unless they are compensated for that value with other inventory, they are not going to make that deal. So I, there's certainly a path to a, a deal. I don't know what that deal would look like. Maybe potentially you know, ESPN right now has rights to the cultural playoff. I know that they're going to reopen negotiations when they expand. Maybe ESPN gives Fox a game or two for the cultural playoff to broadcast. Maybe, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's worth it for, for ESPN. Maybe it is. I don't know, but there, there's a way to strike a deal, but it's complicated. There's a lot of a lot of parties involved, and I don't know if that deal gets struck. I'm kind of like hoping it doesn't. You know, I'm I'm excited about a nine game schedule, but I can wait another year for that if that means one more trip to Lexington and one more trip to Columbia. But that is topic number one today on my list here with the Friday Five. Topic number two, one of my favorite Georgia Bulldogs of all time has retired from the NFL. I'm sure you guys caught this news. AJ Green, wide receiver extraordinaire has finally decided to hang it up, and what a career, what a player, and what a damn good dog. Over 10,000 yards receiving in the NFL, 70 touchdowns, six 1,000-yard seasons in 11 years in the league, and a guy who always did it the right way. Now, of course, in college, there was that one year, was that 2010, where he got suspended for the first four games of the season for selling his own college football jersey, it was flat out absurd then, and it is so insanely ridiculous to think about that now. That dude got suspended for four freaking college ball games for selling his own jersey. 
So you can call that a character concern if you feel the need to, but if you feel the need to do that, then I might just feel the need to punch you in the face because that is ridiculous. This is a dude who never got in trouble off the field. This is a guy that led by example, wasn't a big talker, but did his thing and did it the right way. Was the antithesis of a diva wide receiver. That's not A.J. Green. Most wide receivers, that's that's how they roll. Not A.J. Green. Not that dude. And I know he did not leave Athens as the all-time leading receiver, and he never had a 1,000-yard season, but let's also consider the context in which A.J. Green was playing in while he was here in Athens. So three different quarterbacks. You got Matthew Stafford in 2008. You got Joe Cox. You got Aaron Murray as well. We weren't super talented around him in those years. So there, there were, those were some pretty lean years for Jordan. Now, 2008, obviously, we were preseason number one. That wasn't necessarily a lean year. We had a nice year where we ended up 9-3 in the regular season, but we certainly fell short of preseason expectations. But we lost a lot, a lot of that talent in 2009, 2010, somewhat of rebuilding years there. Not even somewhat, kind of rebuilding-ish years. Now, we weren't terrible. We weren't really good either. We lost to Colorado, which is a game I still... I can't understand how we lost that game. That was terrible. I loved going there. That was an awesome trip, but it certainly did not end the way I won that one in. That kind of put a damper on the entire trip. But hey, talk about AJ Green making incredible catches. He made that one-handed, insane one-handed catch in the end zone right in front of me. I was sitting right there in that end zone, and that was one of the greatest plays I've ever seen from a Georgia Bulldog. Just insane. So AJ Green, I'll say this about AJ. He is one of the three best Georgia football players that I have personally seen with my own two eyes. Now, I'm not as old as some people out there. I'm getting there, man. I'm feeling I'm 37 years old now, but I don't go back to the Herschel days in the 80s and things like that. And then like the mid to late 90s are kind of a blur to me. I was watching, but you know, you're a kid and you don't, how much of that do you really retain? Um, I mean, I watched Champ Bailey, but I don't really like vividly remember what he was like in college. I was just young, man. I, I was young at that time. Really, it's it's like the the latter dawning years on. That's where like I remember all that stuff vividly. And AJ, from my memory, my recollections, is one of the three best players I have ever seen at Georgia. I'm not saying most productive or whatever. I'm saying best players that I have ever seen, like in terms of talent, watching this guy play. And I got a couple questions. You know, people were asking me when I, I think I put that out there on social media and people were asking me like, okay, well, who are the other, other guys in your top three, your top five? And I thought about doing an entire episode on that, but I didn't know if you guys would care about that. Um, but I'll, I'll mention it here. So the best player that I've ever seen with my own two eyes is Todd Gurley. When he was fully healthy, when he was on the field, he was the definition of a difference maker. Todd could do it all. He had the speed, he had the agility, he had the power, he had the vision. He was the total package. He catch the ball in the backfield, he could return kicks. I felt every time that Todd Gurley touched the football, he was a threat to not just pick up some big yards, but to take it the distance. That's what I felt every time Todd touched the ball. And he did that more than his fair share of times. He was just flat out unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. He's number one for me and it's hands down. It's really not particularly close for me when it comes to who I think was the best player. It's still Todd Gurley for me. And then after Todd, it's A.J. Green for me. I know he didn't have the 1,000-yard season. I understand that. Again, context, guys, context. A.J. was an absolute monster who made absurd catches, got open consistently, made big plays for us, and he did it when there wasn't a ton of talent around, at least not as much talent as we would have in the future, and nearly as much talent as we have now. That guy carried some very, very average Georgia teams through some very lean years. But just the speed, the athleticism, 
the grace in which he moved. I just love watching AJ run. He's like a big, long stride. The way he runs, it's just gorgeous. I have a lot of respect for the degree of difficulty with all the catches that he would that he was able to make. AJ was unbelievable, man. He is the best receiver that I have ever seen at Georgia, and we've had some really good ones. Like we have had some good players. You know, you look at I, I love Malcolm Mitchell wasn't on AJ's level. Terrence Edwards fantastic wasn't on AJ's level. Reggie Brown was really talented in the early 2000s, but wasn't on AJ's level. I mean, there was a period of time in the NFL, and it wasn't just a fleeting period of time. There were multiple years, consecutive years in a row, where you could make a very strong argument for AJ as the best receiver in the NFL. It wasn't a great situation for him with Andy Dalton as his quarterback, but if you put him on the Falcons with Matt Ryan, might be looking at him a little bit differently. In fact, that that draft class, you know, the Falcons trade up to get Julio Jones, I was upset they didn't trade up to get A.J. Green. That's who I wanted us to get, obviously. Now, Julio Jones was fantastic, but I was an A.J. guy. Still am, always will be an A.J. guy. So I just want to tip my cap to A.J. Green for being one of the best Georgia players I've ever seen with my own two eyes, for being an incredible NFL player. I think a Hall of Famer in the NFL eventually, and for being a guy who did it the right way and for always and forever being a damn good dog. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, let's move along here. The third item on my list today is a recruiting note. So we talked about Deuce Robinson, was it last week with our signing day recap episode? He was the guy that we were really holding out hope for. On the late signing day, really the only big name we were trying to get, because our class was pretty much done, was tight end Deuce Robinson, number one tight end in the country, a five-star top 20 prospect nationally out of Arizona. He decided to, to delay his decision, and the thought was, and it wasn't even really a thought, he said it directly himself in interviews on signing day that he still wanted to enroll on move-in day. He wanted to move in and be there on campus to go through summer workouts with his teammates and be there on move-in day. But that's usually like late May, early June for most players. So we think it's probably going to be a summer decision. We wouldn't find out till then. Well, this week that changed. I think it was on Wednesday, Deuce Robinson gave another interview and he said straight up, I will be making a decision by April 1st. Now that does not mean on April 1st. That means sometime between now and April 1st. By that date, the decision will be made. So we're not going to have to wait three, four, five months like maybe we thought. We're going to have to wait about another month or so and we'll know whether we land the number one tight in the country to go with the already insane tight end class that we have now with Pierce Sperlin and Lawson Lucky. 
The thing with Deuce Robinson is that he's a big-time baseball player. In fact, he was out there doing a showcase with the Dodgers again this week. He's, from what I understand, being told, he's gotten information that he's going to be somewhere between a first and fifth round draft pick. Now, that's a wide variance. First round, you probably got to go. Second, third round, the money's not the same. Probably not going to go. But he wants to play baseball in college wherever he goes. I do think that Georgia's a better landing spot for him. Really, it's down to Georgia and USC. That's been the word for a while now. Uh, we obviously feature our tight ends, and also from a baseball standpoint, now, we're not an elite baseball program, but we are much better positioned than USC. USC has not been good in baseball for a long time. Like They've been an after thought for a while now. Distance obviously works against us, but one thing we also have in our favor is that Kirby had a pre-established relationship with his father. He coached his dad at Florida State when Kirby was a GA at Florida State. So there's that built-in relationship. Maybe there's some more trust there. It is by no means a done deal, but I still really like our chances. If it's down to us and USC, you can never count USC out. I mean, that's a, that's a tough draw, especially for a guy over there on the West Coast. But I like our chances. I think Todd Munkin, like that decision could potentially play a factor in it. We'll see. I'm not 100% sure on that. But I'm very excited that he will be announcing sometime in the next month or two. So we don't have to worry about it anymore. And hopefully it's really good news. And we'll be able to come on here and do an emergency podcast and talk about how we landed the number one tight in the country who is a flat out difference maker. Now, if we don't land him, it's fine. I mean, we are at a stage right now, we're in a place as a program where one player does not make or break us. And again, we already have a fantastic tight end recruiting class. So landing Deuce Robinson would be a luxury, but what a luxury it would be, man, because that dude, again, is a difference maker. Okay, next up, I don't know how many of you caught this. It wasn't widely reported. It was reported, but it wasn't something that was getting a lot of attention. So we had our most recent athletic board meeting this week. I think that was held on Tuesday, if I remember correctly. And they released information regarding revenues, expenses, all that stuff, you know, all the boring stuff. But one of the things that really did catch my attention are some changes that are being made to the basketball seating arrangement inside Stegman Coliseum starting next season. So there's two big things they're doing. Number one, they are switching the home and visitor benches. So we've always been on, I, I look at it as the right side because that's how I walk into Stegman, but we've always been to the right of the radio announce booth and the visitors have been to the left. We're switching that next season. Why are we doing that? Why does that matter? Because it's going to change the direction that the opposing team is going to be shooting free throws at the end of the game in the second half. Right now, it's been a source of major frustration for me for years, guys, for years. Right now, the way it's set up with the opposing team's bench being on the left of the radio crew, they shoot into basically an empty space in the second half because there's that kind of walkway that leads into one of the tunnels into the concourse there. So basically people go during halftime. If if you're one of the high flyers, you got the money, you go and you get snacks during halftime. There are seats there, but they're far away from the court. So it's not really an intimidating presence. And they're just kind of shooting their free throws without really having to worry about students or anyone trying to really bother them all that much. Next year, they are going to be shooting directly into the student section in the second half, which is when games are typically decided, right? Unless there's some massive blowout. So that is something I have been begging for for a long time. And I am very excited that that is going to happen. Apparently, these are things that are coming at the request of Mike White. Hey, you know what? This is what happens when you have an actual real basketball coach in Mike White and also an actual real athletic director in Josh Brooks. You can't overlook him as well. So that's a huge change. And the other change is we are extending the student student section over one more section, which is going to wrap the student section around to about mid-court. 
and this is another change that I am fully on board with. Now, if you are a season ticket holder in that section, that's not great for you, right? So they are going to have to like reassess seating arrangements, and they they mentioned they're going to have to like prioritize things and look at people who how much have you donated, how long have you been a donor, and they're going to reconfigure that. But I mean, that's something that can be figured out. But that's uh, certainly. I wouldn't be thrilled if my seats were there, and they're not, but I would not be thrilled if they were. But I do think this is good for our basketball program. I think it's going to go a long way in making Stegman Coliseum a more significant home court advantage for us and more of a hostile environment for opposing teams. And Stegman can be a really, really great home court. It really can be when playing big opponents and we're competitive and we're we're right there. We're winning basketball games. I mean, early this season when we were on a little bit of a roll, it was a great environment. Hopefully it will be on Saturday against Kentucky. I'm excited about that game. Hopefully we can find a way to dig deep and win. Hopefully Terry Roberts plays. We'll see. I don't know. Don't hold your breath, but hopefully. But it can be that. I don't think we've done ourselves favors in the past. Moving this the student section over one more section and like giving the giving basically more room for the students is a huge step in that direction. Because guys, if you actually really watch college basketball, you see some of these big time environments around the country. Their student section goes the length of one of the sidelines, and they go crazy. They have the best seating right there on the court. And it goes all the way the length of the sideline, and that's how you create a home field advantage. We don't have anything like that. Now we're starting to take steps to make that a realistic possibility for us and to make that something that we we fully expect. And again, I gotta give Mike White a lot of credit and I gotta give Josh Brooks credit also as well for listening to his coach and giving him the resources that he needs to do his job, which was certainly not always the case under the previous administration. You're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. So very excited about that. But that takes us to our final item on this week's Friday Five. Let's talk about the Alabama Crimson Tide. I know this does not directly relate to Georgia, but I'm going to tie it back, okay? I'm going to tie this back to Georgia. Just just trust me on that. But I'm sure you guys have all seen this play out over the past, what, two-ish weeks? The Alabama coordinator search, coordinators search, plural, has been high drama over the past couple weeks. Now, that drama came to an end when they finally made two hires. They hired Tommy Reese from Notre Dame as their offense coordinator and bring back old Kevin Steele. Saving going back to his roots. Oh, Kevin Steele, hire him from Miami, which is kind of a sinking ship right now. Mario Cristobal, man, what are you doing? But hires Kevin Steele to be his defensive coordinator. If you guys aren't familiar with Kevin Steele, which I think you probably are, was at Auburn. Did a nice job at Auburn, all things considered. Had some really good defenses there. And when they decided they wanted to fire Gus Malzahn, right? When the boosters wanted to fire Gus Malzahn and they decided to like go rogue and do that, the 
the plan was to install Kevin Steele as their new coach. Like he was their guy. And then Alan Green, the AD, stepped in and said, no, 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 I'm going to hire my guy. And he goes out and hires Brian Harson, which was an abject disaster, and he got fired. So Kevin Steele uh, has been involved in some drama here recently, but he was also Saban's first defense coordinator at Alabama in 2007. You might remember that year where they went 6-6, six and six, lost to Louisiana Monroe at home. After that season, he replaced Kevin Steele with Kirby Smart and the rest is history, right? So there is a history there between Nick Saban and Kevin Steele. But Twitter doesn't care about that. Instagram doesn't care about that. TikTok doesn't care about that. Social media is looking at these hires, Tommy Reese and Kevin Steele, and they have had a field day with this because, I mean, it's true. Let's be honest. Neither one of these guys were Saban's first choices. That's just the reality. These are guys he had to go way down the list to get. I mean, they wanted Glenn Schumann. That was target number one, but that didn't happen. They struck out on a couple more guys. Offensively, they got turned down very publicly by the Washington offensive coordinator, and they end up with a guy that Notre Dame fans were kind of okay seeing go. Now, I know that that's not always a great barometer because fans, you know, we all care so deeply, and, and we have certain feelings about our teams that might or might not be rooted in reality. Uh, I would say, like, you know, Florida with Mike White. Mike White was a really good coach at Florida because he wasn't Bill Donovan. Florida fans had a certain way to they felt a certain way about him, and they weren't too sad to see him go. I, while I am very excited to get Mike White, I was very excited to get Mike White. I think that Saban actually didn't do a terrible job with these coordinator hires. I don't think they're nearly as bad as social media wants you to believe they are. I do think it's funny that he missed out on his top targets and had to settle for these guys. Because he did do that. He did settle for both Tommy Reese and Kevin Steele. Like, let's not make any mistake about that. He settled for these guys. These were not his first or second choices, not by a long shot. But that doesn't necessarily mean they won't end up being good hires. Again, I think Kevin Steele did a really, really good job at Auburn. I think he's a really good football coach. He's a respected football coach. He knows Saban. He knows that system. I think it's a nice fit for them. Now, is he a dynamic coordinator, a dynamic recruiter? No, but like the coordinators, you don't. It's great if your coordinator is a dynamic recruiter but they don't necessarily have to be. That's more of a position coach role. Like Todd Munkin isn't a dynamic recruiter, but he's a dynamic play caller. We have guys like Todd Hartley and guys like Brian McClendon and guys like Del McGee that go out there and do most of the legwork when it comes to recruiting. And then the coordinators and Kirby, they come in and they close things out. That's generally speaking how it works. When the guys come on campus, he visits with them, shows them tape, all that kind of stuff. But you're not the one that's traveling all over the country all the time, making all those calls. You'll call some guys, you'll make some trips, but not the way that the assistant coaches do. So I don't think that's as important. I think Saban was looking for good coaches. I mean, this is Saban's last run. This I, I, I truly believe the next three to four years, Saban will retire. I could be wrong there. No one really knows, but he's got this great recruiting class, a couple good recruiting classes in a row. I think he wants to see this through and see if he can get another one. And I understand why he would want to fall back to a guy like Kevin Steele because there's a comfort level there and they know each other. They understand the system. There's not as much of a learning curve there. I get that. Now, the Tommy Reese thing, that's interesting because... There's not a relationship there. Like, there's no relationship there. He was just trying to go out and get a guy that he felt would do the job that he wanted done in Alabama. Here's where, where I'm going to draw it back to Georgia. I find the hire of Tommy Reese fascinating, and I know that this was not his first choice. I understand that. But think about what Notre Dame does, what they've done the past couple years under Tommy Reese calm plays. This is a team that features a tight end that likes to run the football. They have a physical rushing attack. They want to run the quarterback, too, if they have a guy that can run. They like to do play action shots down the field. They'll run a lot of 12 personnel stuff. Who does that sound a lot like? Yeah, the team you watch every Saturday, the Georgia Bulldogs. I find it very interesting that Nick Saban has gone and gotten Tommy Reese 
because he runs a system far more similar to what we run and what we have always run under Kirby Smart than what Alabama has kind of taken on as their identity over the past, what, six, seven years where they are spreading the ball out more. They're getting away from the, the power run game. They still do some of that, but they've gotten away from that by and large over the past several years in favor of more dynamic receivers, throwing the ball in space, RPO game, letting those guys get out there and make plays in space. When you watch us and you sit there and you say, oh, wow, Georgia's doing this very differently. But you know what? Georgia's also won the past two national titles. So I see this in a lot of ways as Nick Saban trying to mirror what Kirby Smart has done. I find that to be very intriguing because what has always been a knock on Kirby Smart, which I don't think is a knock, like every coach who's ever lived takes what they've learned from where they've been and implemented it when they get their opportunity to be a head coach and they put their own twist on. That's exactly what Kirby Smart has done, but for some reason he's been vilified for that because he's turning Georgia into Bama East and just Bama Part 2. Like, that's what like Nick Saban did that. Like when, when he got his opportunity, he basically followed what Bill Belichick did. So I mean, you can say that really about any coach. But here we are after back-to-back national titles. My, how the tables have turned. Has the student become the teacher? Because what I'm looking at from the thousand foot view here is Nick Saban is trying to copy what Kirby Smart has done to win these last two national titles, at least on the offensive side of the ball. Because I'm going to tell you guys, you might not watch a lot of Notre Dame. I watch a lot of football. I've watched a lot of Notre Dame in the past several years because they play a tough schedule, play good teams, and I like to watch them play. And what Tommy Reese runs is a far cry from what Alabama has run the past five, six, seven years. It's far closer to what we have done and what we have had a lot of success with and what we have built as our identity. And I see this in a lot of ways as Saban trying to copy that Georgia identity, that Georgia formula, and see if he can go back to his roots. Now, and that was Saban's roots when he first got to Alabama, but he's moved away from that for a while now. So I find that very interesting. Maybe I'm reaching, maybe, I don't know, but that's that's my impression of the, of this Tommy Reese hire. Again, I don't think it's a, a bad hire. I'm not saying it's a bad hire. I think Tommy Reese is a pretty pretty good offensive coordinator. I know they were like in the 60s this year in in yards per play, but there's also a lot of context there. I mean, they their starting quarterback got knocked out very early in the season. They dealt with injuries at wide receiver, a lot of injuries at receiver, a lot of injuries at running back, and it was the Michael Mayer show. Like that's really what it was. I mean, Drew Pine was not a a championship caliber quarterback he just simply was not he transferred out he's gone now so I I don't know that he had a ton of pieces to work with he had Michael Mayer but that was legitimately it and he has had some really good offenses there at Notre Dame it just didn't happen to me this past year but I I think he's gonna do a good job there. there's a ton of talent there at Alabama I think Kevin Steele is a really good safe hire for Nick Saban it makes sense considering where he is and at his at this stage in his career and I also kind of look at this and one other thing I see when I when I see these hires that Saban made and just the difficulty he had in making the hires is he's not used to that. Alabama is used to getting their pick of the litter, getting whoever they want. Like it's the coaching rehab clinic, right? But that wasn't the case this year. And I think what a lot of those high-level coaches are looking at is they're seeing Nick Saban and they know he's on the tail end of his career. He might be gone in a year or two. And they know that they're not going to be the one that gets that head coaching job. So if you're the coordinator from Washington and you come to Alabama and you have a lot of success for one or two years and Saban and is going to hang it up and retire, well, they're going to go out and hire a new a new head coach. That's not going to be you. And that coach is probably not going to retain you. Maybe if you're like the greatest coordinator who's ever lived, maybe there's a really good chance you don't. So you want to pick up and move across the country for a year or two and then have to be on the job market all over again. That's not very attractive. Coaches know that Saban doesn't have 
that much left in the tank. Because he's, I mean, it's it's a time thing, guys. There's only so much time left in this guy's career. So I think at this point, that's kind of that's working against him. And Alabama is not going to go anywhere in the short term. But I do think it's another sign that you know, looking towards the future, long term, like this is another sign of the decline of the Alabama program. The fact they cannot just go out there and get whoever they want to coach that football team. So just another angle to look at this. But all right, guys, that's all I have for you today. So I enjoyed doing this again. I hope you guys liked it. I know it's only the second time that we've done this. Maybe it's the first one that you've listened to. But I would love to hear your feedback on these Friday 5 episodes. Is it something you enjoy? Is it something you would like me to keep doing? Because if it's not something you care about, I don't want to waste my time. But I love talking just college football in general, sports in general, Georgia football in general, Georgia sports in general. I love doing it. I have a good time doing it, but I want to make sure some of you guys are into as well. But just let me know, guys. Hit us up on Twitter at glory underscore UGA. You can also email us at gloryugapodcast at gmail.com, or you can find us on Instagram, whatever works for you. I hope you guys have a fantastic weekend. Maybe the Hoops Dogs can find a way to pull the upset against Kentucky. You know, Kentucky has not been great this year. They've, they've been up and down. They just lost a game that they shouldn't have lost at home to Arkansas. But uh, we'll see what Kentucky we get in Athens this weekend. Hopefully we can uh, we can have a lot of fun there and actually find a way to upset Cal and the Cats. But thank you for being here, guys. Hope you have a great weekend. I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. Go dogs.